If you follow the Jeffersons, they came from the hood. Everybody say the hood. So they came from the hood, from Harlem, and, you know, he got his cleaning business caught a break, and so he was able to move on up, and that's where the whole uh, song comes from, and they moved to a deluxe apartment in the sky, you know. And so he leaves all, all of his friends behind, all of his brethren to them, you know, including the dude that he, they were talking about. And it just so happens that, that uh, George is inviting over this businessman. And this is for those who weren't able to watch the clip. You know, he's inviting over this businessman because this is someone that he can get something from. Come on, track with me for a bit. So this is someone that he can get something from. This is someone that he wants some, something from. Someone that can repay him for the way in which he shows hospitality towards uh, this person. And so George is inviting him over because he sees that there's going to be a benefit to himself. But when he finds out that Wheezy, his wife, also decides that she is going to invite over some of his friends from the hood, it was cool to talk about them. Come on, somebody. It was cool to reminisce about all the good times that they had. But as soon as he found out that they were coming over to the crib, as soon as he found out that they could get a seat at the table, he decided that he would rather have the person at the table that could give him something in return for the invitation. As opposed to uh, having the one at the table and extending the invitation to the person who he had relationship with. Someone that there was covenant around their connection. You know, they were reminiscing about how they were so close and all of these shared experiences. But oftentimes, maybe there's one or two of you that will agree with me, that when you get in the elevator and you have the opportunity to bring people up to where you're at, that you usually will only extend a seat at the table to those who can repay you for what it is that you extend to them. Can we keep it real on this morning? And so what ends up happening in the story, of course, is that the rich guy comes and he's a snob and he's a jerk and he's insulting not only to George and his wife, but also to his friends and his friends volunteer to leave. But George ends up doing the right thing. And he says, you know what? This uh, the dude, he kicks him out, the rich guy, the guy who's there and he's a snob and he's rude that he would have gotten something from. But he would have had to compromise his character, and his dignity in order to allow him to stay there. He kicks that guy out, and he invites and allows his friends to have a seat at the table. Are you with me this morning? This reminds me of a story, a story in the book of 2 Samuel. What book did I say? 2 Samuel chapter 9. Go ahead and turn there in your Bible if you have a physical Bible or navigate there on your phone. It's also up on the screen for you. And this story is really cool. It's a story of an individual by the name of Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. His name is Mephibosheth. And the incredible thing about this story is we, as we go on, it says in 2 Samuel chapter 9, we'll go and we'll, we'll track and unpack this because I want to show you the power of an invitation and how, you know, even as though many, even though many of us don't understand this, there's power in our invite. There's power in an invitation. There's power in those who we invite to, seat, to have seats at our table. And I also want to challenge you as it pertains to who you invite to your table. I want to open this by even just asking you the question, 
Who will you give a seat at your table? Who is it that you invite to sit with you? Come on, somebody. What are the criteria? What, is the, what are the parameters that, that, uh, that, that you use to determine who gets a seat at the table? We find here a story of this individual named Mephibosheth. And the, the story is that David, uh, David's best friend, Jonathan, and the king who uh, preceded him in the throne, whose name was Saul. So Saul was the king before David, and Jonathan was Saul's son. Jonathan and David were best friends. They were in such covenant, it was almost as if they were, they were one another. They were, as we would say, Bati and Brief. Okay, or is it Bati and Bench? Okay, Bati and Bench. <laughs> Yo, I'm just failing today, fam. Like, just allow me. No perfect people allowed. Merciful. <laughs> so anyways, uh, they were really, really close. That's the point. And what ends up happening is, even though they grow up, and it, you know, they grow up, and what happens is Saul, is, Saul dies, And so Saul is no longer the king. David was in line to become the next king. And so what ends up happening is that uh, that David, in this position now, where he's now the head of the table, he's now in a position of rank above all of Israel. And what happens is he decides, and here we're going to find in the passage, that he wants to make sure... That because both Saul and Jonathan, his best friend, have died. He wants to make sure out of covenant that he takes care of anyone who is left that is connected to Jonathan. So somebody going to stay with me this morning. And so let's look at this. Here we go. Uh, Second Samuel chapter 9 says, verse 1, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. Now there was a servant in the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, who was the king, and said, and the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king says, is there not still someone in the house of Saul? So in other words, Ziba was the one that was presented. And you find things like this happening often in scripture, in the breakdown. And we're going to see why this is significant a little bit later. But Ziba, this servant of Saul, is there. And when he is presented to David, David asks him, is there not somebody else? And so he goes on and he says, and the king says, is there not someone else in the house of Saul that I may show kindness of the kindness of God to him? And the Bible says, there is a still a son of Jonathan. Everybody say Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And the Bible says, the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, he is in the house of Mechai, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Mechai, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, and I will restore you. And in all of this, so David, and then he goes on and says in verse 8, And paid homage and said, 
Uh, well, actually, let, let me go before there. He says in verse 7, And David said to him, Don't not, Do not fear. I will show kindness to you for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore you to the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? And so here we find that David decides he's going to look for whoever's left in Jonathan's house. And there is a crippled individual by the name of Mephibosheth, who was his son, that was away from him at that time. And the amazing thing is that David decides that because of the love he has for Jonathan, that he is going to find his son and he's going to take care of him. Come on. That he's not going to forget because Jonathan did some incredible things for David in the past. He says, I'm not going to forget where I came from. I'm not going to forget about the kindness that was shown to me. Come on, somebody. And so he reaches out to this individual that was considered, even though he had royal blood, he was considered an outcast because, especially because he was in a crippled position. What had happened was that he was dropped on his legs as a child. And thereafter, he was broken up and and people who had disabilities were regarded in a negative manner in times of old. And so he shows up when he gets this invitation to sit at the king's table. And when he gets the invitation, he falls on his face and he's saying, hey, I'm your servant, although he has royal blood. Because of his handicap. Because of his disability, he falls on his face and he says, I am your servant. What is it that you would regard? He even refers to himself, such a dog as I, that you would let me sit at the king's table. He didn't recognize, he didn't recognize the power that was in that invite. That David did not care about his condition. Come on somebody. But David just cared about the covenant that he had with Jonathan. Come on somebody. And so it wasn't based upon the fact that that Mephibosheth couldn't do anything to give to David. It wasn't based on the fact that David couldn't be repaid for what he did to Mephibosheth from Mephibosheth. But David decided that because of his connection to his friend Jonathan, that he needed to give him a seat at the table. Are you with me this morning? And so I want you to understand that Mephibosheth, uh, I want to talk to someone who it may be in this position. And this, this point may be, will be twofold. Here we go. Point number one. Point number one. It will be up on the screen for you so you can write it down or tweet. It says, don't let your handicaps hinder you from accepting God's invitations. Somebody say that with me. Say, don't let your handicaps hinder you from accepting God's invitations. Mephibosheth, he showed up and he was reluctant, he was hesitant to receive this invitation to the king's table. This is why he's crawling on his face and saying, why is it that you would regard such a dirty dog as I? Because of the way that society would look upon him and the way that he was treated and look as if he was broken and he was worthless because of the handicap that he had. Come on somebody. And as a result, he was hesitant to receive this invitation. But I'm here to tell you, 
because I feel like there's somebody who's here today and based on the stuff that you face, based on the imperfections that are in your life, the areas of your life, if you'll be real with me because I have some too, can I get a witness of somebody that would say there are some things in my life that are challenges, there are areas where I feel broken down in my life, there are areas that make me feel unworthy, why is it that I would get an invitation to the table? And I showed up to let you know that with your scars and all, come on somebody, and with your bruises and all, with all of the stuff that you have, come on, that you're up against and the things that you that are shame, that may, may make you look like a shame in front of others, that Jesus, God, I'm so glad that God will look beyond your faults and look beyond your mess ups and look beyond your handicaps and your disabilities and the challenges that you face and have and he will put you in a position where you'll get invited to sit at tables come on salvation is us getting an invitation by God to sit at the king's table without being in a position where we are qualified this is the beauty of the gospel which means good news that God so loved the world come on church that he gave his only son so that we could have an invitation at the table even before we could ever do anything to reserve us a spot or earn us a spot like that guy that George Jefferson wanted to invite to the table because there was something that he could benefit from by him coming to the table before we could give anything Jesus died for us and extended this invitation are you with me And so I don't know who you are or what handicaps or challenges you're up against, but God will invite you to come and have a seat at the table or cause people to invite you to have a seat. And you cannot let your handicaps, your disabilities, whether literally or figuratively, bring you to a place where you feel like you don't deserve to be there. Thank God for his grace and his mercy. I see jobs for folk and I I talk to people person after person getting jobs saying I don't even know how I got this job I didn't even I don't even have the degree I wonder who I'm talking to this morning I failed come on I failed in school and I'm standing up here with the ability to be able to communicate and see in life's challenge I wonder if there's anybody in here that's ever been in that position where you know that you're not even qualified but God opened a door for you to have a seat at the table and you know what you need to get to the place where when the door opens and the table and the seat opens up some of us we go and we talk ourselves out of favor God opened the door for you and you open your big mouth. Come on, somebody and talk yourself out of the miraculous. But I wonder if there's anybody in this place this morning that say, I don't know why the chair opened. I don't know why they invited me. Do they know who I am? Do they know what I did? They don't. But I'm not going to talk myself out of it. I'm just going to use that as a praise break opportunity. God, I'm so thankful. I don't know why you opened the door, but you opened it and I'm grateful. And so don't let, and I'll just make this a B point, don't let your handicaps hinder you from accepting God's invitations, but I'll say don't let the handicaps of others hinder you from extending invitations. Because you start then discriminating like George. He said, you know, I don't want the hood folks to come and sit at the table because they're going to embarrass me. You forget about how your breath used to stink. Come on, somebody. And how your mess used to be stinking to the high heavens. But Jesus saved your ratchet t- 
hotel and brought you out of the mess and the muck and the mire. Y'all don't want to be real with me. When you used to look in the mirror and say, man, how in the world am I ever going? Now your butt is married and you have a happy marriage and you knew and you know that things weren't all together in the hmm, department. But God gave you favor and we often forget and we don't want to extend that same favor. Okay. Y'all want to act cute, but that's okay. Don't let your handicaps hinder you from accepting or extending invitation. I love what Luke says. Keep your finger in 2 Samuel chapter 9. Luke chapter 14. Jesus makes it clear, and I love this so much. There are actually two parables here that he talks about, but, it, but this is really, really cool uh, how he unpacks this. Verses 12 especially. He says, he, uh, he said, he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Who are you inviting to your table? Are you only inviting people into your life that can repay you for doing so? Are you only inviting people into your life that have the opportunity to give you back? Or are you, or are we going to be like Christ? Because I wonder if there's anybody that knows that I can never repay Jesus for what he's given to me. I'm so glad that God didn't have that criteria in inviting me to have a seat at the table. I'm so glad that he was able to extend an invitation to me, knowing that I would never be able to pay him back. But yet we have all these parameters and we only invite people. Jesus makes it clear. He's not saying don't invite rich folk. He's not saying rich folk can't be saved. That's not the point. The point is he's saying when you're in this position where you have an opportunity to invite people to have a seat at the table, you ain't to check your heart. Are you only inviting folks that can bless you back? Or are you going to show and demonstrate the love of Christ, which often calls you to bless folk that can't give you anything in return? Can I go further? Look at this. I love this because so so going back to to uh, second Samuel chapter nine, this is incredible to me. Mephibosheth, if you look at Mephibosheth, remember the dude, Jonathan's son, you would think, you know, he would have to, you know, he would have to force his way up into somebody's table because of his condition. Come on, somebody. But the amazing thing about it is that he did not have to go looking for King David. Mephibosheth in his disabled position could have decided, you know what? I'm just going to stay in Lodabar. I'm just going to be comfortable here. I'm just going to settle for a mere existence, even though there's royal blood pumping through my veins. Come on, somebody. Uh, you know, or he could have said, he could have got this victimized mentality and said, you know, you know what? I, I, I don't deserve to be here. So I'm going to scratch and I'm going to scrape and, and go Jacob on them. Come on, somebody and deceive my way because of where I am in order to get away at, to get a, a place at the table somebody's gonna get that when you go home but the fact of the matter is that Mephibosheth did not have to scratch his way to the table can I give you point number two it's gonna be on the screen for you watch this you don't have to force a seat at tables that God has called you to <laughs> man this is good preaching listen 
there's some of you that you've been like a little puppy just oh, be my friend be my friend I just want a seat at the table that you've been there in this position you know you look like that too you think you look different when you begging come on somebody and when you brown nosing folk trying to get up on that table and God hasn't called you there and you've been wondering saying I've extended you know how we do we, this is what we do we send a friend request and then we act like oh maybe they just didn't see it and so then we go and we unfriend them and then friend them again y'all don't want to be real with me to act just so just so it can be fresh in the news feed just so, oh because i think when i added them the last time they didn't know the fact is that oftentimes that you're trying to scratch and get yourself to a seat at a table that god has not called you to sit at who am i talking to because the fact of the matter is that when god wants you to sit at a table you don't have to force your he prepares the table before me in the presence wish i had three bible readers of my enemies come on somebody i don't have to force my way to a table that god is i don't have to force my way and lie my way into a job that god has for me i don't have to force myself and lie and cheat into a school come on somebody that god don't want me to get into if god has called you to it guess what the seed is just gonna spread and it's gonna open for you Acting like a giddy pie, I'm going to be, will you be my friend? Will you be acting like we in the fifth grade? You're not in the fifth grade anymore. Come on, somebody. You don't have to force people to be your friends. I don't want friends in my life that I have to force anyway because y'all ain't going to be my friends. People you got to force to stay in your life are not going to have your back in the hard times. Come on. I need some ride or dies in my life and I want to be a ride or die. If you're in my life and you're my friend, it's because either I'm going to have your back or I know you're going to have mine. I'm not just looking for a friends list like Facebook a folk that I never met a day in my life oh, bring it back down to five I'm just passionate about it because you don't have to force a seat at the table that God has called you to yeah 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 oh man that's, a, that, that, that's some deliverance for somebody that's a, somebody you've been, you've been trying to force somebody to love you. You've been trying to force that relationship. You know they don't even match up with you. And I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you that you have to, you have to have everything in common with the person. No, you compliment one another. Oftentimes, my wife and I, we're the opposite in so, we're opposite in so many things. Come on, somebody. But you trust and believe that chemistry is there. Me and Miss Jones, we got a thing going on. Come on. There's chemistry there. And so even though we differ, we complement one another. Come on, somebody. And some of y'all trying to, for you there, with like a flint stone, trying to make a spark. Come on. You forcing that thing. Who wants to be real with me? You're like, you're going to have a spark. In G- and you put Jesus in it. If you put Jesus in it, it sounds more sanctified. So you think that must be, Lord, you put a spark in there. You're going you're gonna to have a spark. You get, and you're trying to force this thing. And you know it's not the Lord. Needy, little puppy. And you forcing something that God didn't call you to when God has a king's table. Come on, somebody. When God has a king's table for you to sit at, whatever that represents in your life. But we often settle and scrape to get there. Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth didn't force his way. God just made a way for him. Come on. Can I keep going? This is good, man. So he goes on. He says, look. He's asked the question. He says, is there, a, is there a son of Jonathan? Is there someone from his household? 
And, and I love it because he says, he, he says back in er, earlier in the text, he says, uh, and David said, is there still anyone left in the house of Saul? Verse one, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. So I, I think this is powerful because Dwayne, we need to understand this is point number three. Can I give you point number three? I got 10 minutes it says, uh, God's covenant supersedes my condition. In fact, I need you to just look at, look at a neighbor and tell him, neighbor, God's promises for your life supersede what your supersede your condition. Come on. God's covenant, God's promises. I love it because the, the fact of the matter is, this is so crazy to me, that the promise that, that happened with Mephibosheth, Mephibosheth having a seat at the table didn't even have anything to do with Mephibosheth. The reason why Mephibosheth has a seat at the table is because the covenant that David and Jonathan had before he even got there. Oh man, I'm so glad. This is, this is some good stuff. This is, a, this is some good stuff because some of us, we think that we think that our condition is what qualifies or disqualifies us from what it is that God has called us to, the seat at the table that we're called to sit in. When we don't even realize that the things that happen in your life, the favor and the goodness of God that displayed in your life and the seat at the table that you have, that is because of the promises that have been established through God in Christ. When my wife and I got married, the reason why my kids live in a safe home, come on somebody, where there's love that's displayed, where they have peace in the house, where they see not perfection, but they see restoration when there are challenges, is not because of anything my kids did, but it's because... 12 years ago this year, I stood at the altar with my wife and said, for better or for worse, (laughs) somebody sees this thing, in sickness and in health, for richer or for poor, they seen us still loving up when there was 53 cents in the bank. And it had nothing to do with whether they're good or bad. Had nothing to do with the fact that my son has asthma and that he deals with this. And it has nothing to do with any of those things. Come on, somebody. But it has to do with the covenant that was made between my wife and I when we stood at the altar 12 years ago. And I love this because this is the precedent that set God. And this is beautiful because some of you, you think that the reason why you're saved or why you have the option of even sitting at the table called salvation is because of something that you did. But you have no clue that God actually cut covenant. Can I just talk this? Can I just go just a little deeper? God cut covenant. The father cut covenant with his son. He swore by himself that he was going to bring this promise of salvation to pass. And so the only reason why salvation is extended and available to those of us who have a seat at God's table is because the father made a covenant with the son and swore by himself that he was going to die on in your place and make payment for your sins. How many of you are real enough to witness that if the covenant was between God and you that you would be you would screw it up. 
Maybe I'm the only one that, that, that you know, that's, that's missing a few screws. And I know that at the end of the day, that if it was up to me, that I would be jacked up. Can I show you something that some of you have probably never seen in scripture? Look at this. This is, this is a, a promise that God makes with Abraham. I got six minutes and one more point and I'm out of here. Is that okay? Keep your finger in 2 Samuel chapter uh, 9, but go with me to Genesis chapter 15. And I love this. It's some good stuff talking about this. This is why you have a seat at the table. And this is why you need to be careful when it comes to who you're extending an invitation to. Look at this. Genesis chapter 15. I love it. Verse 6 and onward. The Bible makes it clear and says, uh, uh, and he believed the Lord. Speaking of Abram, his name before Abraham, when after this covenant was made with him uh, between he and God, his name previously was Abram. Everybody say Abram. And so what happens here, it says he believed the Lord. So God makes a promise to him and he tells him about how he's going to, uh, how his people are going to have this amazing land. But he also makes this promise to him that he is going to be his, his seed, both natural and spiritual, are going to multiply as the stars of the sky. You are saved today. If you are saved, if you are, have given your life to Christ because of this promise. Look at this. That happened before you even took your first breath. So Abraham believes God. And God says, you're righteous because of your faith. Not because of who you are or because of your works. But your trust that I'm going to bring to pass what I promised you. Look at this. This is so dope. Verse 7. He said to him, I am the Lord. Who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you the land to possess? But he said, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? So he's asking, How can I know this thing? This thing is going to happen. This seed at the table that you're promising me, how can I know this is going to happen? He said to him, Bring me a heifer, which is a, a type of a. Um, <laughs> I forgot. Yo, you didn't even know that was in the Bible. You heifer? Not that type of, well, this is, this is the Bible heifer. <laughs> bring me, bring me, bring me. Now I don't even know where I am. Look what y'all did. Bring me a heifer, three years old. A female goat, three years old. A ram, three years old. A turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all of these. And the Bible says, cut them in half and laid each half over against each other. So this is after the similitude of how they used to make covenants. For example, uh, you know, when you get stuff like spit shakes, we're going to shake on it. This is a forming of a covenant. Oftentimes to cut covenant, they would cut one each other's hands and they would shake together. And the blood mixing together is saying, listen, we, this is a serious deal. We are cutting covenant. We are meaning what it is that we're saying. You know, we make promises today and we don't really mean them. But they were serious, and this was one of them. So they get all of these animals that he asked for. He cut them in half. Sorry, vegetarians and vegans. They're like, oh, my gosh, we love the planet. No. Uh, so back then, they cut all of these animals in half, split them in half. And then what would have to happen after the promise was made? The two individuals who were making the promise, they would walk in between the cut animals in half. And that would signify that if either of them broke the promise, that what happened to those animals was going to happen to them. Are you ready to see this? Look, so he goes on 
And then the Bible says, so he cut all of the animals in half, lay them aside. Verse 11, and when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. So the, the vultures in them came and decided that they were going to have a, fe- a feast, but he throw- drives them away. And then look at this, verse 12, and the sun was going down and a deep sleep, everybody say asleep. A deep sleep falls on Abraham and a dreadful great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abraham, know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in the land that is not theirs and will be servants there. He was prophesying about what would happen when they got caught in Egyptian bondage. Uh, as you know, for 430 years. And the Bible says, look, he prophesied that this would happen. And then uh, verse 14, but I will bring judgment to the nation that they serve. And afterwards, they will come out with great possessions, which is exactly what happened in the story of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces. My God. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. Oh, uh, yeah. The Lord made a covenant with Abraham saying, to your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates. And he ends up telling him what he does. What happens is Abraham sets up the pieces, but God knocks him out. And those two things, the smoking pot and the flaming torch that pass between the pieces is representative of, it represents God the Father and Jesus making a covenant with themselves that they, that God is swearing by himself that he is going the one that's going to bring the covenant and the promise to pass in Abraham's life. Did Abraham walk between the pieces? Because Abraham was sleeping. But God made a promise to him. Come on, somebody. And all he did was trust in the covenant that was made between God the Father and God the Son. And it was applied to his life. Oh man, I said all that to say that somebody today, you showed up and you feel that you're disqualified because of your condition. Because you think that it's your works and it's your efforts and it's your issues or it's your problems that qualify or disqualify you from the seat at the table. But I showed up to tell you that God swore by himself. Come on somebody. When Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, this was God saying yes to the place that he has for your life and all you do is walk and take a seat at the table that was earned outside of your efforts that's some good stuff God's covenant supersedes my condition this is why Mephibosheth has a seat at the table I love it I love it and so 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 with all of that being said I bring this plane down to a landing We're just declaring and make it clear, making it clear here that you have to use your seat at the table to make room for others. Number four, make use your seat at the table to make room for others. God has not given you a seat at the table, whatever that represents, whether it's salvation. If you're saved, God hasn't called you to be saved just so you can be saved. 
He gave you a seat at the table so you can make room for somebody else to come and have a seat at the table. So you can bring them up. Not somebody that you feel like I'm going to have them have a seat here because they have something to pay me back with. But someone who can't add anything in that regard to your life. But you create an opportunity because you remember. David remembered that back that back in 1 Samuel chapter 16. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 16. David was overlooked. When Samuel came to appoint the king, which he is now sitting in as king, they brought out all his brothers. I often talk about this story because I want you to see it. And they forgot about him. And Samuel says, is there not another son? And he says, yeah, well, it's just that dude keeping the sheep. And it turns out that that boy, that shepherd boy, is the one who ends up being appointed as king. Here, David's in the same position. Where Mephibosheth, notice Ziba was brought first. Saul's servant was the first one to be brought out. They didn't even mention Mephibosheth. And David says, no, that's not the dude I'm looking for. Even though, hey, yeah, come on in, but that's not the dude I'm looking for. He says, there has to be another one. And Mephibosheth, the one that was overlooked. He doesn't say, nah, you're, you have a challenge. You have disability. Forget you. He welcomes him in and says, I'm going to take care of you for the rest of your life. I'm not going to forget about the covenant that I made with Jonathan. And so here's your seat at the table. And I'm going to take care of you because covenant surpasses condition. So what are you doing with your seat at the table? Who are you inviting to the table? Do you walk outside when you think about church and we encourage you to go and invite people to come and be a part? Are you just happy with yourself just sitting in these seats? Oh, yay. I love the songs and, you know, pastor's a little crazy, but I get a a message or two from him. And you feel like, yeah, you know, that's cool. And then you just go home full and just, just you're straight. Or are you thinking, I don't know about you. I'm always thinking, who can I invite to have a seat at the table? How many of you know that there's somebody else in your circle of influence that needs what you're experiencing right now? How many of you know that there are countless people, there are literally millions in our city that do not know that Jesus died for their sins and loves them unconditionally aside from their condition or their challenges or their issues or their meds. How many of you know people out there that need this? You and I ought to use our seat at the table to bring them. And someone who's sitting here today, you're in a position where you're like, you know what? I feel a mess because of my condition. God couldn't love me. I'm surprised lightning didn't strike me. Maybe it's only because we're in a movie theater. This ain't even a real church. I hear you. But no, even you, God loves you. And he loves you. He loved you before you even did anything, before you even drew a breath. 